Good morning, church. Thank you, Pastor Wei, for those prayers. And thank you, Jen, for reading um, the Word of God for us. How are you all this morning? Did you get wet? I got wet this morning, I think, Pastor Wei, too. I think we came in early and we were a little drenched. Yeah. So who's excited about this new sermon series? Yep, that's the right answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so to do yeah, so we started a well, sermon ser- series last week, right? Um, well, it, it does say Genesis and Revelation, uh, but we are going to focus uh, mostly on the book of Revelation. But these couple of weeks, uh, we are looking also at the book of Genesis. Why? Because the beginning helps us to understand the end. And so Pastor Wade started us off last week. He talked about the purpose of creation that we've been created to, come on, you guys can do this. Yeah, flourish, thank you, yes. You're gonna hear this word again and again and again through the, the, the sermon series. And, and the flourishing that we're talking about, um, it's mediated you know, or facilitated through human beings, co-ruling with God, as we see in Genesis 1.28. Passed away, um, this is passed away slide from last week, well, a little edited, but yes, God blessed them. God, <coughs> excuse me. God said to them, "Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over every living thing." This here is meant to help the world flourish. But then we messed up. Human beings messed up, right? We rebelled, and then we veer off that path of goodness and flourishing. We call that the fall. But the fall doesn't change God's mission. And so, and God continues to move his world towards flourishing, even when we misbehave. And this week, as we heard just now, um, our text is from chapter 11 of Genesis about the Tower of Babel. Now, when we think of this story, we often associate that with um, the um, diversity of languages, so many languages in the world. But you know what? There is so much more to this story that I want to share with you today. But let me just give you a little bit of a background first. So in the book of Genesis, this Tower of Babel story comes after the story of the Great Flood. And so after the flood, Noah's descendants grew and they spread out and they set up communities. But I want to tell you about this one great-grandson. He's mentioned in Genesis chapter 10, just before our passage. His name is Nimrod. He was a mighty warrior who wanted to make a name for himself. So he built himself a kingdom of many cities, um, including the city of Nineveh. But the very first one was Babylon. And this Nimrod, can anyone guess what his name means? Nimrod means we shall rebel. Can you imagine having a name like this? And so it is in Babylon, in the land associated with we shall rebel, that our story is located. Hopefully that gives you, you know, a sense of, you know, um, 
I mean, a backdrop to the passage today. Okay, before we continue, let us, let us pray. Oh God, we come with you, uh, before you, with humility, um, and acknowledging that you are God and we are not. You are wise and we are not. You are strong and we are not. Your ways are higher, and we do not claim to be able to always understand. But it is okay, because we can trust you in your love for us. We can trust you in your care for us, even when we don't understand. But I pray that you will help us understand how much you love us this morning. Amen. Okay, so, um, you know, we are very smart people. Do you know that? Yeah. Yeah, I love that. They have some nods. Yeah, yeah, we are very smart people, you know. Um, you know, as human beings, we are really clever. Why do I say that? See, we are great at inventing things, right, that make our lives easier. So imagine you have a lot of heavy stuff to carry. You know, you're thinking, oh, I don't think I want to carry myself. Hmm, let me think about something that could work a lot better. Maybe something like this. See, this is so much more efficient and less taxing. You can carry so much more at one go. And we also came up with other things like, um, like electricity, right? Like the telephone. Well, now it's the iPhone or something like that. Or how about the airplane? And don't forget, we put people on the moon. And um, we also invent things to, to kind of, um, well, for, for what I call um, enhance um, personal hygiene and comfort. Like, um, this. <laughs> See, I mean, we think about all kinds of things, like, mm, maybe it's winter, we want a warm toilet seat, what do we do? See, we are so great at inventing stuff. And we are also great at coming up with stuff that could be extremely powerful and potentially very destructive, like this. I was sharing with an earlier service, um, how I really suck at physics. Um, but, but, you know, I continue to be, um, to be amazed at how, you know, like, well, this is what I have seen in the movies. You scribble some numbers and equations and then it eventually would lead to this. Um, but maybe that's just in the movies, but you get the idea. We do have an incredibly well-endowed mind. In fact, so much so that we have gone from making machines do things for us, like the horse and the cart, to making machines think for us. We make machines with cognitive functions. Don't you think we are remarkable? Very clever, right? But do you know why, though? Why are we so clever? Why so creative? Why so good at making things and organizing stuff? Because we are made in the image of the Creator God. Part of what it means to be made in God's image is this, that we reflect God's ability to create, to organize, to conceptualize, and to execute. Turning raw materials into useful things, grapes into wine, making beautiful music and artwork, planning and bringing order to God's world so that it can flourish. When we do that, we are actually doing what Genesis 2.15 
tells us to do, which is to serve the world and take care of the world the, world the way God would. But what if you and I decide to use all this high-level thinking, high-level functioning abilities for our own agenda instead? This is what's happening in the Tower of Babel story. They have the latest state-of-the-art technology, bricks, using bricks and tar. Now, with bricks and tar, they can do things, they, I mean, they can build faster, they can go higher, they can go bigger. They can be so much more efficient. It's, you know, it's advanced technology in those days. But it's not the technology that's the problem here. It's what they do with it. So, they said, come, let's build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Now, this tower is not like the Taipei 101 or the KLCC or the IFC or the Shanghai Tower. This, this type of building with its top in the heavens is a religious building. It's called the ziggurat. And it looks something like this. You see the top? So the Babylonians describe these buildings as having their heads or tops in the heavens. Why? Because they, they are supposed to function as gateways between heaven and earth. But this gateway is not for people from earth to go up to heaven. What it's for is for God to come down from heaven to earth into the temple to receive worship from the people. And you might be thinking, what's wrong with that, right? I mean, it sounds like a good thing to do, right? It honors God, you know, you make a big piece, I mean, of structure for God to come down and be worshipped. Surely, that's a good thing, right? Wow. It's not a good thing because this is a very transactional type of honoring carried out to buy God's favor. So, so in return, it's like, God, I make this thing for you. We worship you. In return, we want protection, blessings, success, and prosperity, which in turn will make their name great. Not God's name great. Their grand religious project is to make their name great. So what this is about is the worship of God for the purpose of bending God to their agenda. It is about using God's name to build their own name. And this is a message for us today to what we do for God or in the name of God. Is it ultimately for my own glory, for me or for us to look successful? There is indeed great power in the abilities of human beings. Power for good and power for evil. And you know what makes that worse? When you add unity into the mix. When you add unity to that power, the impact is multiplied. You know, we often lift up unity as being a very positive thing, you know, and mostly it is. But unity is most is hardly an ever, is hardly an end in itself. Just like technology, unity can be used for a good purpose or a questionable one. 
Here, this unity mm, that's made possible by a common language and a common vocabulary is used to service a misguided goal. Old Testament scholar Bruce Walkey describes it this way. Technology, which enables human beings to subdue the earth and in part sets them above animals, is God's good gift to people. However, people pervert it. As human beings abuse God's gift of technology for dominion, they also abuse language. God gives them language to bring the world under dominion, but they use it to rival God. Again, great power is given to human beings. And God did choose to create a world that would run under human authority. And so such power in the hands of rebellious human beings is very dangerous. So dangerous that God says that nothing they plan to do will be beyond them. And recognizing this, God intervened. Come, let's go down and confuse their language so they won't be able to understand each other, says the Lord. Now, would you agree with me that even if you speak the same language, you often could misunderstand each other? So imagine here, trying to build this huge thing while not understanding what each other is trying to say. Like, could you pass the break, please? Huh? You know, just can't meet. So without a common language to unite them, their building project could not go on. And God scattered them across the face of the entire earth. And the nations became alienated from one another. And the story ends just like that. Now on the surface, this could seem like a great huge disappointment and utter failure. The people wanted God to come down, and God did come down, but not to do what they were hoping for. God came down to do the exact opposite. They did not want to be scattered, but they ended up scattered. And for the people, you know, this could feel like, you know, punishment and, you know, one could feel quite hopeless. But in the bigger picture, the greater scheme of things, this was actually an act of gracious intervention. Remember, God continues to move us towards flourishing even when we behave badly. And here, God intervened in order to contain evil before it could get out of hand, way, way out of hand. Now, of course, God could have intervened in such a way that everyone involved in the building project lives happily ever after, right? He could, right? He could just zap, 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 and people are okay again. But he did not. And I don't know why he did not. You know, I don't know why God chose to intervene in this specific way and that in this specific time and not sooner and not later. I don't know. But what I know, what I know is God can and does take our most broken selves, our most our acts of rebellion and our most epic failures and our most misguided agendas, our deepest disappointments and hurt, and redirect them according to his good purposes. 
How do I know? Because the end of this Babel story is not the end of God's redemptive story. See, even as he intervened here in this story, he already knew that one day he was going to come down again. Here, just in this building, he came down, but he knew that one day he was going to come down again. And this time, it would be a different coming down. He would come down in human form to dwell with us on his own terms, to bless us just because he loves us, not because you know, we made a good transaction with him. It's not like we have any bargaining power to begin with. He, he will come down and take away a heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh so that we can begin to really look like him. So that we would choose the way of God, which is the way of life and not the way of Babel. Now, Babel or Babylon represents the height of human spiritual rebellion. It becomes a symbol of anti-creation and anti-God. And his coming down means that these dark powers of rebellion will be disarmed. And you know what? He will usher in on the day of Pentecost a new type of unity. It's the Holy Spirit type of unity where people who look different and speak different languages in different tongues can be united once again this time united in Jesus and this is unity for good and not unity for evil he will lead us from the way of Babel the way of Babylon to the way of God and God started the ball rolling when he called Abraham and said that I will bless you and I will make your name great Instead of us having to make our name great or trying to, God will make our name great. And instead of having to manipulate God into blessing us, we can trust in God's love and goodness. And we will have a heart of flesh and a heart of stone taken out. And instead of united in rebellion for our own agenda, we will be united in Christ for God's mission. And, not finished yet, and one day, we will arrive at the city, which is the ultimate city, the new Jerusalem, whose architect and builder is God. And it is the only city that we could truly flourish in. But in the meantime, we're not there yet, so in the meantime, God continues to intervene in the affairs of the world, as well as in the events of our personal lives. But the thing is, it's almost never in the way that we expect him to or that we want him to. But can we still trust that the end of the story will be one greater than any of us could ever imagine? You know, there are so many things we don't know, although we wish we could know. So I don't know why God did not stop the flooding from happening. Or the earthquake in Morocco from happening. He saw them coming. He knew what's going to happen. I don't know why he did not stop that. I don't know why he allowed or he has allowed climate issues 
global warming to get so bad. I mean, this is God we're talking about, right? Could he not just go snap and then the global temperature will go back to its optimal temperature again? He could. And I don't know why he has not answered my friend's fervent prayer for healing after so many years. I don't know why he has not responded to something that I've been asking him for. Lance and I are in a season where we are praying um, to see God in, intervene in a certain way. And of course, you know, um, I like efficiency, so to make God's job easier, I made him a plan. But lo and behold, you know, he's not responding according to my plan. I don't know, but has this ever happened to you? Or is it just me? I mean, it's so hard to trust, right? I mean, it's so hard to trust that he's still in control. But maybe this is what it means to have faith in the goodness of God, in the gracious sovereignty of God. This is what it means to hope in the things that we cannot yet see. In a moment, we're going to go into a, a brief time of reflection. But let's close this time in prayer first. God, we thank you that you are indeed sovereign over us and sovereign over the affairs of the world. We may not always understand. We may not always like it that we do not understand. We may want to run ahead of you, and we often do. We, want, we may want to make plans for you, thinking that we are helping you out. But Lord, help us to trust you. Help us to trust your goodness. Help us to I guess, hold our plans loosely in our hands. Help us to see how much you love us.